you're listening to a collective of Mission City Fellowship. Collectives are classes for gathering and growing in grace together. In a collective, there's teaching and sharing from those in attendance, but we purpose to only record the teaching portion of the collective class. May this teaching bless you. May it deepen your understanding and knowledge of the Lord and His Word and lead to your growing affections for the Lord and His people. And so, impact the way we live life with one another at Mission City Fellowship. Section two, we won't take a break yet, okay? So we're just getting going, but probably after this section, we'll take a short break. This is a big section here, okay? Um, the person and work of the Spirit, his identity and activity, if you were to summarize it up. In 1977, a hit movie that many of us probably have watched at some point, some of us may be big fans of it, uh, became known for this iconic phrase, may the force be with you. We know that one, right? Is, <laughs> Noah, Noah, all of a sudden perked up. You perked up. I feel the, I feel the spirit right now. <laughs> oh, may the force be with you. The, the official, I actually went and looked this up. It's so funny. The official Star Wars website describes the force in this way. The force is a mysterious energy field created by life that binds the galaxy together. Harnessing the power of the Force gives the Jedi, the Sith included, and others sensitive to this spiritual energy extraordinary abilities, such as levitating objects, tricking minds, and seeing things before they happen. While the Force can grant users powerful abilities, it also directs their actions. And it has, and and a, it, and it has a will of its own which both scholars and mystics have spent millennia seeking to understand. Sometimes I think we treat this definition like it's the actual biblical definition of the Holy Spirit. We, we treat, right? I mean, there are some things in there that are kind of like, oh, it's, it's kind of there, actually. Um, we, we treat the Spirit like some, like some kind of weird force, that if we could just harness its power, we could gain powerful abilities. And, and we see some in the church, right, who, who maybe do have certain gifts of the Spirit or seem to have a greater awareness or sensitivity to the Spirit. And we think, wow, the force is strong with this one, right? The force is strong with this one. Um, we don't want to get our definition for how we think about the Holy Spirit from Star Wars as a mysterious energy field. Uh, at the same time, the reality is there is a mysterious aspect to the Spirit. Um, well, I'll, I'll share more in a sec. He's named the Holy Spirit, which is mysterious to us. We, we can somewhat grasp the descriptions of the Father and the Son, but the description of the Spirit, that just seems odd and doesn't compute with our understanding. We make scary movies about spirits, Right? Um, we, we joke about that. The, oh, there's, you know, I don't, there's this, oh, what do we used to call it? Um, oh, uh, oh, of course my mind slips. Um, we used to pretend, friends and I, we'd be outside at night and we'd say, oh, there's a spirit. And we would run, I can't remember what we would call it. It was a lady. It was in, it was in Spanish. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, that was it. Oh, this crying woman is coming. Run! 
Um, so we make games about spirits and, and, and it, to scare ourselves. And um, he's invisible, John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or, or where it goes. So this is mysterious. He's powerful, Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Again, this is mysterious. All of a sudden, the Star Wars definition sounds pretty, pretty. That must be Acts 22. Maybe we find that definition in Acts 22. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Okay, but 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 in our wanting to better understand God and specifically <coughs> the Spirit of God, we do have to admit that there is a mysterious nature of the Spirit. We have to guard from overcomplicating the Spirit. And at the same time, in our attempt to better understand the Spirit, we also have to guard from trying to oversimplify. Or what I think lots of people try to do, they institutionalize or tame the Spirit. Often, the mysteriousness of the Spirit leads people to fearfulness. That's what happens. We want the mysteriousness to lead us to Godward reverence and honor. I think of... The people of God, Mount Sinai, God's supernatural power is shown, right? And how do they respond? With a sinful fear. They move away from God. Now, God does set boundaries for them. At that point, these are an impure people. They can't come that close to God without dying. But yet, a sinful fear, they, they actually push away, it seems as if. They push away, and they tell Moses... Tell God not to keep speaking to us. You speak to us, Moses. Well, is that right? To behold God's supernatural self and to push away from God? Well, no. A sinful fear does what Adam and Eve does. A sinful fear does what the people at Mount Sinai do. We push away from God. We hide away from God. His supernatural and mighty self scares us in a way where we run away. A healthy fear of God bows down. A healthy fear of God remains there and recognizes he's both mighty and he's good. He's holy, but he's kind. He will do right to us, but yet he is powerful. And he is, in some degrees, mysterious. He is the God of Mount Sinai, who, we, who dwells with us, precious saints. He's the God of Mount Sinai. So how will we respond to him? Graham Cole, his book, He Who Gives Life, says this, to, to profess to know a great deal about the Spirit of God is contrary to the nature of the Spirit of God. There is a hiddenness to the Spirit that cannot be uncovered. There is an immediacy or an involvement of the Spirit that cannot be shoved into visions. We can't just shove the Spirit to do things. There is an invisibility of the Spirit that cannot be forced into visibility. There is a reticence, so a reservation of the Spirit that cannot be converted into openness. For these reasons, one feels helpless, inadequate, and unworthy to write a line about the Spirit. That's how I felt in trying to prepare this class. Man, three hours? That's nothing. We need so much more. And on top of that, I'll be honest with you. Man, that brings me to tears. There's a part of my heart that feels as if how silly we are that we would want to teach three hours on the Spirit and yet leave no room for us just to spend three hours in prayer pursuing the God 
who we're going to talk about. I mean, even that pierces my heart. I honestly don't want to just know about him. I want to know him. I saw that on y'all's board at home. We got to have lunch with you guys. I saw that. There's a difference between knowing about our God. I'm so glad you're teaching your children that, Bobby Joe. There's a difference between knowing about our God and knowing him relationally. We'll talk more about that. It is humbling to try to teach a class on the Holy Spirit. Here's what's interesting, too. <clears throat> I don't know why this is always the case, but, well, why did I say that? Yeah, that's silly. It's word to say. But it's interesting. You start talking about the glory of Christ or the Holy Spirit, and, man, there's, there's opposition. Man, I have struggled with health stuff. I mean, it's been a struggle the last several months. <clears throat> but man, the last two weeks, every morning has been horrible. It's been hard. Preparing last week's preaching was so hard. Preparing this was so hard. <clears throat> there, there is, beyond our knowing God in a, on a, in a head level, there are things unseen that are happening around us. Guys, I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about that, but it doesn't surprise me then that there would be opposition. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But it's humbling to teach on this, this class. There is a vastness of not just what he does, but of who he is. And often we tend to first focus on what the Spirit does rather than who the Spirit is. And what the Spirit does is really important, but above what the Spirit does is the greater glory of who He is, right? It's the greater glory of who He is. So let's look at who the Spirit is first. Who is the Spirit? Is the Spirit a power, a presence, or a person? Though we would often think of the Spirit only as a power, or sometimes, right, as a force, I would say the Spirit is all three. The, the person of the Spirit who is always imparting the personal presence and power of God. Scripture clearly connects the Spirit with the power of God, but what we also see is that is that, that power is never impersonal. It's a person who is personal. John Frame, in the Doctrine of God, says, The Holy Spirit is not a mere power. He is the personal bearer of divine power. Um. I won't take much time on this little topic here, but I've included our statement of faith on the Trinity, and we would really could take a whole class just talking about the Trinity, um, meaning one God, yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all together, eternally existing as one. So this, the Spirit is one person in the triune fellowship of the Godhead, um, I, I, I put that definition there. So here's, here's what I've done. Some of these passages we will absolutely read. Um, some of them I'm going to skip over. I'm going to skip over this one. This, this is our definition from our statement of faith on the, the Trinity. Um, I've, I've included the scripture references at the bottom. Here, here's the amazing thing. I've read through our statement of faith 
right, our We Believe book that we have. And there have been moments I've just been brought to tears. It is worshipful. It allows us to see God for who he is, and it, it grabs at our hearts. It affects us. So if you, any of these things, I mean, feel free to just go and dig in these scriptures. But I wanted to make sure, like I said, we, we are word people, but we're spirit people too. Let's bring those together. So there's a lot of scripture here. But we believe the spirit is one person in the triune fellowship of the Godhead. And so uh, let's look at this right after that statement of faith. The Godhood of the Spirit and His divine work. The Godhood of the Spirit and His divine work. The Spirit shares in God's divine attributes. The Spirit shares in God's omnipotence, which is to have complete and total power to do anything in order to accomplish His plans and purposes. Romans 5.19 By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that I have fulfilled the ministry of God. The Spirit shares in God's omnipresence, which is to have no limits on where he can be at one time. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The spirit shares in God's omniscience which is to know all things to the greatest depths and to the uttermost. 1 Corinthians 2, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit shares in God's eternality. He's eternal. Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The spirit shares in God's honor. He's included in the great commission right there with the Father and the Son. Matthew 28.19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit shares in God's divine attributes. So we're looking at essentially the wholeness of God here, right? The Spirit makes up the wholeness of God. Father, Son, Spirit. Uh, point B there. The Spirit shares in God's divine work. Creation. Job 33.4. I knew, obviously, obviously there's more passages, right? Um, I wrestled, should I just do one? Should I do a ton? Um, should I do just the obvious ones? Uh, Genesis 1 obviously would be an obvious one, but Job 33.4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm, oh, I think, ponder that for a second. The Spirit of God, who we often neglect, knew us made us, right, in union with the Father and the Son, made us and breathes life into us. What a kindness of the Spirit. How wrong should we neglect Him? How wrong should we think wrongly of Him? How kind He is. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. 
The Spirit shares in God's divine work in preservation. Psalm 104. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's what you were talking about, Kelly. He shares in God's divine work of inspiration, 2 Peter 1. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So think of that. We pin up the Spirit against the Word when the Spirit is the one who gave the Word. Yet we put them in opposition of one another. We operate often in a false dichotomy. They aren't opposed to each other, right? The Spirit should help us understand the Word. The Word should help us understand the Spirit. They should feed off of one another and harmonize together. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Regeneration. John 3.5-8, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel what I, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Titus 3.5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He's in sanctification, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, a little bit later, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then lastly in that section, the resurrection. Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In the personhood of the spirit, the spirit has personal qualities. Um, so he is God. He shares in God's divine attributes, and he's personal. So listen to this, the personal qualities of the Spirit. I honestly probably could have done more. There's quite a few here. The Spirit's mind, 1 Corinthians 2, 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person? Which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Romans 8 27, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. There's a, the Spirit's will. 1 Corinthians 12, all these are empowered, talking about the gifts, 
by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit's emotions. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. I'll try to speed up a little bit here. The Spirit's emotions. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can be lied to. Uh, Peter addresses Ananias and Sapphira. They, they are lying to the Spirit, essentially. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? The Spirit can be blasphemed. Matthew 12, therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. I've included there Wayne Grudem's little definition on what that means, the blasphemy of the, of the Spirit from his systematic theology. The Spirit can be resisted. Acts 7, you, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. I wonder how much resisting takes place in the universal church right now. The Spirit can be insulted. Hebrews 10, how much worse punishment do you think he will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged or insulted the Spirit of grace? And then last, we already hit on this, the Spirit can be grieved. The personal work of the Spirit, and then we'll pause right after this, I think. The personal work of the Spirit. The Spirit interacts with us as a person. The Spirit speaks. Mark 13, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit teaches. <clears throat> John 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit, as we go through these, and I want to hear from you in just a moment, be honest with yourself. Have you thought of the Spirit in this way? When you've prayed, have you said, Lord Jesus, will you teach me through your Holy Spirit your word? Will you teach me to better understand how to apply biblical truths to my parenting? Will you teach me, Holy Spirit, to do such and such? How often do we think of the Spirit this way and respond to the Spirit in this way? The Spirit decides. Acts 13, 8, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Acts 16, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Spirit directs and leads, which closely obviously connects to the Spirit, decides. Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I often wonder what that looked like, but it's in Scripture. 
the Holy Spirit said. Hmm. Acts 13.4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the Spirit directs and leads us. The Spirit helps. We've already hit on that. John 15. The Lord Jesus will give us the helper, the Father. Ephesians 3.16, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The spirit unifies. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit empowers skills and gifts in the Old Testament and Exodus. I, I love this. We often don't think of this. Um, in fact, I remember one time I was overseeing our, this was not in, our, in this church, I was overseeing a sound team, and so they, people who run sound and overhead and all that kind of stuff, and I was meeting with one guy, and this particular guy, man, it was like his own kingdom type thing. It was his own little world. I rule over this. This is the soundboard was like his island for whatever reason. Um, and I remember, remember us just talking about serving in the power of the Spirit, including in the way we run sound. I remember him just saying, "That's just a. These are just skills. Like these are not essentially d- detaching the two. Like this, the Spirit has no involvement in this." Well. I think he does. Um, one, in our serving, he's empowering our serving. But, but even in Exodus, you, you see the Lord calls for the building of the tabernacle. But how does he do it? He gives skills to men who are, I mean, we read it here. Uh, he fills them with the spirit of God. And what does that spirit do? With ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Interesting. Interesting. I'll tell you. So this, is a, <laughs> this, is, this may be one of those little stories where you're like, okay, Phil, you know, type thing. Um, but when I was first started getting involved in music, there was a music studio downtown in, in Midland, and <clears throat> we started recording some music there, and the guy took me under his wing and just really said, hey, I want to invest in you here, and I want you to kind of work with me. In the long run, we ended up buying the studio. Some people supported that, like rich businessmen, millionaires, bought us the studio. I was a senior in high school, $25,000 studio, crazy. So the first time we were going to meet, he says, so I've never messed with the equipment. He says, hey, I want you to come, and I want to, I want to start teaching you how to record and make music and all that kind of stuff and all that, use all this stuff. So okay. So I'm on my way, and he calls me, and he says, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it. But I tell you what, just go ahead and go in. I had a key already. Go ahead and go in and just start tinkering and see what you can do. I said, all right. So I go in, and I remember I sit. There's, I mean, there's like, there's a computer, there's a soundboard, there's a, a 
it was called an, an Akai, which had like a, like a pads and a keyboards and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, remember, I remember just sitting in front of it and I just said, Lord, if it's your will for me to use this for your glory, would you teach me how to do this? Guys, this is, not, this is before the Lord, so this is, these are not exaggerations, these are not lies. I, I made several songs in like an hour having no experience on this stuff. And I, I text him and call him, and I'm like, brother, you're never going to believe this. This is amazing. And he's like, how did you do that? There's like little things you have to do and things that, you know, I know that you have to do with the, the equipment. And I, I, I don't know. I just prayed and asked the Lord if it was his will that he would help me, he would teach me how to do this. And, I, and here we are. Saints, I, I think the Lord still can do this type of thing. He can. He can help us, whether that's our, whatever it might be, in our job, in our homes, in our, whatever it might be. I think he can meet us in this. When we move beyond that, we start thinking we don't need, need God. And any time we think we don't need God, it's, dangerous. it's a dangerous place to be in. Right? Yeah. The Lord does do that. He does, and it's, it's yes. I love that. And what did you just do? You gave glory to him for what you did at work, at school, right? See, that's the thing. He needs, we need to give him all the glory he deserves. And when we neglect the active daily presence and work of the Holy Spirit, because we're trying to like push the spirit away, we don't give him the glory he deserves, right? Oh man, because that leads us to saying he's so kind. He's so good. He's so generous. Like, thank you, Lord. That will lead us, and we'll talk more about prayer. But when we see God at work in even those kinds of things, it leads to a life of constant prayer. Right? You're going everywhere. Be with me, Lord. Help me go here. Help me. I need you here. Help me. I'm walking to my child's room. Help me as I'm going in the room. I'm struggling today. I'm going to school. I'm teaching. Whatever it might be. Oh, when we, yeah, we believe that the Lord still teaches through his spirit. He's still helping us in skills and gifts. Often, I mean, anyone who denies that just sounds arrogant, right? But people do. So let's not, let's not think that that doesn't happen. It happens. Let's go to the next one. The Spirit intercedes. The Spirit essentially is presenting our prayers to God, right? Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us. I mean, even in that, you can almost say the Spirit prays, right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Oh, I feel like I've been here so much, not even knowing what to pray at times. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Praise God. The Spirit assures and comforts us. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit 
that we are children of God. <laughs> Acts 9, 31. I mean, so many of these I just want to stop and talk about, but we got to go. Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and, and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Acts, we'll talk more about Acts, but Acts has this interesting rhythm. You see it like this, like a wave. It gets really hard, and there's persecution, and what do you see happen? The Spirit comforts His people. He fills them with power. They declare the truth of God, and, it, and this one line, and the Word of God spread. And then it, again, rises up persecution. It's hard, it's difficult, and the Word of God spread. It's this cool rhythm throughout Acts. Well, how? They're walking in the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of God, right? What we talked about earlier, not running from God, not rejecting or pushing the whole God away, moving towards the whole God, recognizing he's powerful, but he's good, and they're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convicts of sin. John 16, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then lastly, but most importantly, the Spirit glorifies Christ. John 15, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, Christ says. John 16, he will glorify me, Christ, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Of all the wonderful things the Spirit does, his most humble and yet greatest work is that he constantly bears witness, not to himself, but to the glory of Christ. I heard a charismatic pastor um, say this. If we want to see the Spirit do amazing things, we need to stop being Christ-centered and start being Spirit-centered. When we look at the whole of the Spirit, what we just did, His divine attributes and His personal qualities and His aim and heart and humility and passion, in a sense, of the Spirit, could it possibly lead us to believing that? No, it believes us the opposite, right? It doesn't, it doesn't lead us to saying, if we want to see the Spirit really do things, we need to stop being Christ-centered and start being Spirit-centered. That's wrong. It's not true. I think it's inaccurate. I think we need to not neglect or reject the Spirit. I think that's what he's doing. He's swinging hard the other way, right? He sees there's a rejection of the Spirit, and so we need to, we need to start going this direction. Um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in that. I do think we, we don't need to neglect or reject the Spirit, but the Spirit loves to exalt Christ, and we should too, right? I think that's one of the first, when you can tell there's going to be a sickness in the church, the first symptom is they stop being Christ-centered and they start being something else-centered. Whether it's homeschool, right? There can be churches. I knew a church plant here. I shared when we first planted, I came across a pastor who had planted a church. They didn't last. They died after one year because the church became so homeschool-centered that it became ferocious in the church. Nothing else mattered. Jesus wasn't the main thing. Homeschooling was the main thing. And if you didn't homeschool, then oh boy, it's a big deal. Now, do I appreciate homeschool? 
Yes, I do. Do I appreciate all those outlets, CC, all that kind of stuff? Yes, I do. But it's not the main thing, right? You can tell when a church is headed towards sickness by the first symptom of they've stopped being Christ-centered. You can tell a church is headed towards health when the symptom of Christ-centeredness is there. When they love Jesus, they exult in Jesus. What's that, brother? Yes. That's good, Anthony. Thank you for sharing, my friend. You're right. We don't just do this as a church. We do this personally. Right? A healthy Christian. So let's, let's feed off of that, Anthony. A sick Christian. So the same way we'd say a sick church is going to start showing symptoms. And the first symptoms, they stop being Christ-centered and something else-centered. A sick Christian. Where you're going to start seeing an unhealthy life. What's the first symptom you're probably going to see? Stop being Christ-centered and start being something else-centered, soccer-centered. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, this isn't a big deal in our church, but I remember there were times softball would come around and people would disappear. And, and that's not good. That's not healthy. All right, we got to keep going here. It's amazing how three hours can actually go so fast. It's amazing to me. Graham Cole, He Who Gives Life and the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit says, Importantly, we saw that the Spirit's own stories are never solo stories. When the Spirit is in view, so too is God, per se. As an Old Testament text after text, or the Father and or the Son, all this underscores the self-effacing charter of the Spirit's ministry. Even Pentecost is about God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit with the focus on the risen Christ. Hmm. Hmm. I'll be honest, brothers and sisters, there have been times in my life, it's a balance, right? We have to keep honing it back in because there are points in my life where I think I do start longing for more of the Spirit, which is okay, but I have to, have to stay on top of it because otherwise... It's, we're, just, we're just idol factories, aren't we? I'll make the Spirit and His work the main thing. And we just want to, we have to keep coming back to, you know, Christ is the main thing. And the Spirit is, is in that and working in that. And so when there's a Christian, Anthony, what you just said, exalting Christ and saying, I used to not see the symptoms of my sin sickness and my sin death and rebellion, but now I see it in Christ. That is a work of the Holy Spirit, Anthony. That is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, revealing to you Christ and helping you see sin. That's a good thing. And so the church must celebrate those kinds of things, right? What do you see happen, especially in Pentecostal churches? And not just the name, but we do this all over the place. Uh, tongues becomes the, the, the great uh, 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 oh, revealer of the Spirit, right? When really it's... Does someone love Jesus more is the main revealer of the Spirit. That is the main revealer. Tongues is not the main revealer. Does someone love Christ is the main revealer. Implications. We'll finish this section. Implications of the divine personhood and work of the Spirit. So what does this mean for our life? 
essentially, like, this is important, and we've talked some about that, but, but in summary, we see that the Spirit is fully divine, a distinct person of the Trinity who acts personally, powerfully, and in unity with the Father and the Son. If He's at work there, that means the Father is at work here. If He's at work, that means the Spirit is at work here. Or, I'm sorry, the, the Son is at work here. They're at work together. He doesn't re- rebel against the Father and the Son. That means if he's at work doing a good thing, it's because the Father and the Son approve of it. They're all together working. So to despise the Spirit is to despise the wholeness of God. We cannot fully know or experience the whole good of God if we reject a part of him. Right? And I think rejecting or despising a part of him is wrong and and I think actually is is sinful. I think the Lord is so gracious to bear with us and patient, but I think it is sin. To reject God and to reject a part of God. Our salvation rests upon the Spirit's deity. If he's not who he says he is and who Scripture points him out to be, we have no hope because he's the one at work in us, right? We have no sense of confidence in the scriptures. We have no sense of hope of salvation because we're not sealed with this Holy Spirit who can actually keep us. We have no hope if if we don't believe the Spirit to be the God in who he is and yet a person dwelling with us. Our church unity rests upon the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit, Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The context of Ephesians 4 is the unity of the church. Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4 through 5 that the foundation of our unity as a church is modeled after the diversity and unity of the Trinity. That's what he's getting at here. So if we reject a part of the Trinity, essentially it it will affect our unity. Isn't that interesting? Our unity is to model. So we are diverse. Even in this room, we are diverse. Some of us speak Spanish. Some of us don't speak Spanish. We're we're different colors. We have different backgrounds. We all these different life experiences, all these different preferences, all sorts of differences, diversity. And yet there is to be a beautiful unity there that follows the diversity and unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Last, our living a faithful, Christ-exalting life daily rests upon the divine personhood of the Spirit. I think it's what we were talking about earlier. He is involved in everything. In everything. The fact that you felt compelled to come and learn about the Spirit, I would say, is a work of the Spirit. It is to be celebrated. Otherwise, you would never desire the Spirit. Why would you want to know him? Why would you care about him? Sister, the fact that you would bring kiddos and you'd say, I'm going to go and learn about the Spirit is a testimony to the strength of the Spirit and the compelling of the Spirit in you. The Lord is at work in our daily living. So we need the Spirit. And we need him to be who he says he is. We need him to be God. And we need him to be very personable. God with us. Right? All right thoughts there maybe maybe even other implications like do you think of the spirit this way as in as god but yet also 
as a person in a sense, not just a force, but a person of God. And so he can be grieved. And he can lead us into greater joy. And he can speak to us and he can teach us. Now I know speaking, that touches on something we can hit on later because we would say, okay, is God revealing new things and all that? That becomes the argument, right? So how does God speak to us? 